section 23 of the underground railroad part 4 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by maria casper the underground railroad part 4 by william still section 23 12 months in the woods 1860 henry cotton as a slave subjected to the whims and passions of his master henry made up his mind that he could not stand it longer the man who mastered it over him was called nathaniel dixon and lived in somerset county near newtown this dixon was not content with his right to flog and abuse henry as he saw fit but he threatened to sell him as he would sell a hog at this time henry was about twenty-four years of age but a man of more substantial parts physically was rarely to be seen courage was one of his prominent traits this threat only served to arouse him completely he had no friends save such as were in the same condition with himself nevertheless he determined not to be sold how he should escape this fate did not at first present itself everything looked very gloomy slavery he considered as death to him and since his master had threatened him he looked upon him as his greatest enemy and rather than continue a slave he preferred living in the swamps with wild animals just one year prior to the time that he made his way north determined not to be a slave any longer he fled to a swamp and made his way to the most secluded spot that he could find to places that were almost impenetrable so dense were the trees and undergrowth this was all the better for henry he wanted to get safety he did not wish company he made known his plans to a dear brother who engaged to furnish him occasionally with food henry passed twelve months in this way beholding no human soul save his brother his brother faithfully took him food from time to time the winter weather of 1859 was very hard, but it was not so hard to bear as his master Nathaniel Dixon. The will of Henry's old master entitled him to his freedom, but the heirs had rendered said will null and void. This act, in addition to the talk of selling, had its effect in driving him to the woods. For a time he hid in the hollow of a tree, which went very hard with him, yet he was willing to suffer anything rather than go back to his so-called master he managed finally to make good his escape and came to the committee for aid and sympathy which he received arrival from maryland william pierce but few passengers expressed themselves in stronger terms in regard to their so-called masters than william pierce from long green I fled, said he, from John Hickle, a farmer, about fifty years old, gray-headed, and drinks whiskey very hard, was always a big devil, ill-grained. He owned fifteen head, he owns three of my brothers. He has a wife, a big devil, red-head. Her servants, she wouldn't feed em none, except on cornbread. She would fight and swear, too, when she got ready. She and her husband would quarrel, too a slave man a deceitful fellow who had been put up to watch on one occasion when the rest of the slaves had helped themselves to a chicken and cooked and ate it about midnight though he was allowed to share a portion of the feast was ready enough to betray them by times next morning 
this made master and mistress cuss all hands at a great rate and master beat all hands except the one that told i was caned so badly that it laid me up for several weeks i am a little lame yet from the beating such was william's story he was twenty-three years of age of a light brown color well made judging from his expressions and apparent feelings against his master and mistress he would be willing to endure many years of suffering in canada snows before he would apply to them for care and protection a slave catcher caught in his own trap george f alberti personated by a member of the vigilance committee a lady frightened by a placard one afternoon the quiet of the anti-slavery office was suddenly agitated by the contents of a letter privately placed in the hands of j miller mckim by one of the clerks of the philadelphia ledger office said letter it would seem had been dropped into the box of the ledger office instead of the u s box one of which was also in the ledger office through a mistake and seeing that it bore the name of a well-known slave-catcher alberti the clerk had a great desire to know its import whether it was or was not sealed the writer cannot say it certainly was not sealed when it reached the anti-slavery office it stated that a lady from maryland was then in philadelphia stopping at a boarding-house on arch street and that she was very desirous of seeing the above-mentioned alberti with a view of obtaining his services to help catch an underground railroad sojourner whom she claimed as her property that she wrote the letter could not be proved but that it was sent by her consent there was no doubt in order to save the poor fellow from his impending doom it seemed that nothing would avail but a bold strategical movement mr mckim proposed to find someone who would be willing to answer for alberti cyrus whitson a member of the committee in mr mckim's judgment could manage the matter successfully at that time c whitson was engaged in the free labor store at the corner of fifth and cherry streets near the anti-slavery office on being sent for he immediately answered the summons and mr mckim at once made known to him his plan which was to save a fellow man from being dragged back to bondage by visiting the lady and ascertaining from her in conversation the whereabouts of the fugitives the names of the witnesses and all the particulars nothing could have delighted the shrewd whitson better he saw just how he could affect the matter without the slightest probable failure so off he started for the boarding-house arriving he rang the bell and when the servant appeared he asked if miss wilson from maryland was stopping there she is was the answer i wish to see her walk in the parlor sir in went mr w with his big whiskers soon miss wilson entered the parlor a tall and rather fine-looking well-dressed lady mr whitson bowing politely addressed her substantially thus i have come to see you instead of mr george f alberti to whom you addressed a note this morning circumstances over which mr a had no control prevented his coming so i have come madam to look after your business in his place now madam i wish it to be distinctly understood in the outset that whatever transpires between us so far as this business is concerned must be kept strictly confidential 
by no means must this matter be allowed to leak out. If it does, the darned abolitionists, excuse me, may ruin me. At any rate, we should not be able to succeed in getting your slave. I am particular on this point, remember. You are perfectly right, sir. Indeed, I am very glad that your plan is to conduct this matter in this manner, for I do not want my name mixed up with it in any way. Very well, madam. I think we understand each other pretty well. Now, please give me the name of the fugitive, his age, size, and color, and where he may be found, how long he has been away, and the witness who can be relied on to identify him after he is arrested. Miss Wilson carefully communicated these important particulars, while Mr. Whitson faithfully penciled down every word. At the close of the interview he gave her to understand that the matter should be attended to immediately, and that he thought there would be no difficulty in securing the fugitive. "'You shall hear from me soon, madam. Good afternoon.' In five minutes after this interview Whitson was back at the anti-slavery office with all Miss Wilson's secrets. The first thing to be attended to was to send a messenger to the place where the fugitive was at work, with a view of securing his safety. This was a success. The man was found, and frightened almost out of his wits, he dropped all, and followed the messenger who bore him the warning. In the meanwhile, Mr. McKim was preparing, with great dispatch, the subjoined document for the enlightenment and warning of all. To whom it may concern. Beware of slave-catchers. Miss Wilson, of Georgetown Crossroads, Kent County, Maryland, is now in the city, in pursuit of her alleged slave-man Butler. J. M. Cummings and John Wilson, of the same place, are understood to be here on a similar errand. This is to caution Butler and his friends to be on their guard. Let them keep clear of the above-named individuals. Also let them have an eye on all persons known to be friends of Dr. High of Georgetown Crossroads, and Mr. D. B. Cummings, who is not of Georgetown Crossroads. It is requested that all parties to whom a copy of this may be sent will post it in a public place, and that the friends of freedom and humanity will have the facts herein contained openly read in their respective churches. Hide the outcast, betray not him that wandereth. Isaiah chapter 16, verse 3. Thou shalt not deliver unto his master the servant that has escaped from his master unto thee. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 15. This document was printed as a large poster about three feet square, and displayed in large numbers over the city, attracted much attention and comment, which facts were quickly conveyed to Miss Wilson at her boarding-house. At first, as it was understood, she was greatly shocked to find herself in everybody's mouth. She unhesitatingly took her baggage and started for my Maryland. Thus ended one of the most pleasant interviews that ever took place between a slave-hunter and the Vigilance Committee of Philadelphia. End of Section 23